Before the uh, podcast even starts, I'd just like to offer my condolences. And I know, obviously, all the guests I've had on this show so far, uh, obviously, uh, repeat guests such as uh, Bobby Dean, who's on this show this week, um, and Elaine Bagshaw, obviously, we all send our extreme condolences and thoughts and prayers with the families who have been absolutely destroyed and the lives have been lost by the senseless attack uh the just the uh, just the other night and um yeah I, I don't really know what else to say really obviously since i've been doing this podcast we've had a um an attack in on, on westminster and that was pretty devastating obviously this is on a larger scale but still nonetheless it's i mean yeah what, what do we do at a time like this so look um We've just uh, deconstructed stuff from the week, so I hope you enjoy it, and uh, I'm on with the show. Hola, yo soy Margarita, y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown, and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake, and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg, and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. <laughs> Hello, it's the Limehouse Podcast, and I'm with old-time legend Bobby Dean. Hi, Will. Good to see you again. Yes, mate. It's been a very long time since I've seen you. I'm going to put these headphones down. Um, well, no, it's only been a long time since I've seen you. It's just... It's been a long time since you've been on the show. What? Where have you been, mate? Well, uh, I haven't I'll... invited you on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if you've heard. There's been an election called, and no. I've been pretty busy with that. No, really? Um, yeah, an election. Yeah, out on the doorsteps of Lewisham, Deptford. Okay. Um, you know, delivering a few leaflets, but mainly yeah. knocking on doors, dealing with uh, influx of emails like I've never seen before, and yeah, actually talking to lots of new members that keep coming our way as well and training so, them up and getting them out on the doorsteps as well. Let's, let's um, remind people, um, when Bobby first appeared on the show back 16 years ago, 10 years ago, six months ago, barely six months. I mean, our first pod was in January of, of this year. It's mad. Yeah. But anyway, he was, um, he was a PPC and still is for uh, Lewisham Deptford. Um, and the, but, it was a council seat that you ran for in November. That's right, right, yeah. So now, now you're running for... Parliament. Parliament. So that's a yeah. bit of a jump, isn't it, mate? How, it's a bit of a jump, yeah. um, but I'm loving the experience so far. Um, yeah, just being out there across the whole community that I've lived in for, you know, the best part of nine years, um, rather than just sort of one specific area of broccoli that we were campaigning in before, it's been great. Um, I've I've done things that you know I, I wouldn't have expected to do, and good things or bad things. <laughs> I've done no. things I wouldn't expected to do. <laughs> no, I, I just I Chop just mean some trees. No, some of the things I've been I'm getting invited to now. Some of the issues that um, are ending up in my inbox that I'm getting to answer now <clears throat> are really sort of challenging me as a person and broadening my mind as well I got invited to St Mungo's uh, homeless hostel mm -hmm. uh, the other week and was down there for a couple of hours just chatting to the residents and really getting to know their issues I've, I've worked on homeless issues in the past but nice to, to do that in, in my local area Newcross um, yeah my inbox filling up 
with issues of wide ranging as uh, you know fox hunting to the refugee crisis um, again housing and homelessness does keep coming up in, in my inbox as well and just getting that experience of um, you know being seen as a potential representative of the community is really inspiring me to keep working this hard really yes i suppose when when the when the uh, elections are when the general elections over you know you you know win or lose there's going to be a um there's going to be people that will maybe re- remember you and go oh well you know labor aren't doing a particularly good job or whatever maybe it's maybe that bobby dean guy who knocked on my door and that leaflet maybe he can take care of it so yeah i hope yeah, so i mean be that, prepared i, I I've, i'm obviously going out next door with Simon Hughes at times as well and he's just an inspiration I mean when you walk around with him everybody knows him and you can tell that the reason he's been successful is because he's been that dedicated to his community and yeah maybe in places some people are starting to recognize it from Brock in Broccoli in particular obviously um, and I'd love to use this as an opportunity to to get to know even more of the community and yeah I'd love them to start looking at me because I know that people are disappointed with Labour and Lewisham Mm. Um, you know I think the last time we was on the pod we were speaking about the Millwall issue and that's that's shown up you know just how complacent Labour uh, can get Um, you know you have this idea of safe seats well at the local council level for sure 54 out of 55 councillors they they do not feel like they're being held to account very well at the moment hmm. and we really want to be able to sort of be that strong opposition to them in in, in Lewisham next year and I, I I want to go at this campaign as hard as I can and achieve the best result I can yeah no it's good mate I mean it's good because you know um 29 years old 27 uh, tw- you're 27 yeah I thought you're 29 27 mate sorry oh okay well that just makes it worse for me <laughs> 35 over here <laughs> Um, that was my impression of an old will. Um, yeah, I mean, tw- twenty-seven. But people, I put a fake, a fake question at Bob. It was a question. It was a a pre-podcast Jeremy Paxman style question, and I did a, a fairly decent impression of him. My question to Bobby was, um, well, it was roughly sort of, "You're too young for politics." Yeah, and your answer was quite good. Well. I work in the youth sector and we're actually all about making people realise that young people have a, a very strong offer. Um, okay, on the one hand, people might want to point to experience, but let's not see that as a wholly positive thing because sometimes experiences make people more conservative in their decision making because mm. they're not brave enough to go with new ideas. And also, it, uh, politics and parliament is a lot to do with perspectives and input. And, you know, we need the whole nation represented in our parliament. Mm. That includes, you know, men and women. That includes people from the different ethnic backgrounds that make up the the UK, the different sexuality types. I think it also means age types as well. There's a lot of issues at the moment that parliament are debating that massively affect my generation. Now, when I go in there, I'm not a single issue politician, you know. I'm, I'm able to listen to residents of all ages and all different backgrounds and represent them. But also, you know, I do have uh, the unique perspective of being young and knowing what it's like not to get onto the housing ladder right now and knowing what it's like to try and get jobs in the midst of an economic crisis and knowing what it likes to feel attached to Europe. And, you know, this not only being something that could potentially damage our economy, but something that damages my identity, leaving the European Union. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important that we have young people in Parliament. It's not all about 55-plus-year-olds being in there. Um, my voice is as important as anyone else's. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, mate. I mean, it's just the... Um, 
Nick Clegg was, um, you know, making a pretty um, heavy point about um, this gen- the generation that are going to suffer the most are the 16-year-olds, etc., etc. And then, uh, obviously, Nicola Sturgeon this week has been talking about um, the 16, you know, the, the um, age uh, um, limit for voting has been brought down, will, should be brought down. Yeah. And it's um, I, a really, really funny tweet on uh that I, I i i retweeted and it was basically saying uh a 16 year old is old enough to have sex with um a, a an mp but not old enough to vote yeah which is really funny yeah. i just thought that's quite funny and obviously 16 year olds can pay taxes and they can potentially um you know join join the army not fight yet but join the army they can get, and do you get married at 16 i think so I, I, yeah. I need to confirm that but 16 yeah. year olds can do a lot of things but also they're, they're, why are they any different to a 21 year old right again it comes back to this whole ex- they haven't enough experiencing as if their perspective's not valid I, I work with young people every day a 16 year old is more than capable of making decisions if they're able to make a decision about whether or not Scotland is able to stay in the union I think they're able to decide what um, party best represents them. And there's another key thing about this. We know that when people vote for the first time, it tends to set a pattern in their life. Once they start voting, they tend to vote again. So if you, I was speaking to somebody uh, yesterday in the pub and they were saying to me, you know, the first time they voted wasn't until they were 24, but mm. they voted every time since. Once they become engaged in that process, they tend to continue that. So we should be looking to get all school leavers and um, people that are leaving the sort of normal education route and going yeah. into their chosen education route after that whether it's you know apprenticeships or you know uh, academic or vocational courses we should be getting them then and we should also have political education in schools by the way so that yeah, people absolutely. know how important the vote is absolutely, yeah. um, and then you know they start that pattern off for life early and yeah. we'll keep it I think yeah 16 year olds are well capable of participating in our democracy i mean yeah and and i yeah i don't i mean i don't want to go on about too much because i'm i'm quite tired and i was at the cribs yesterday and i'm probably (laughs) a little bit hungover so i think i'll probably just prattle on even more than i do usually but um let let, let's let's have i want to know what's happening um what's happening when you knock on the door and you meet a constituent and what the concern their their chief concerns are yeah. Like in, in obviously this is London. Uh, if you haven't already figured it out, my dear listener, it, it's a London, it's a London-based show, but we do like to broaden our horizons. But specifically, it's Bobby Dean, and so Bobby, what has been the issue on the doorstep? Yeah, I mean, we we know we're in a Labour-held area, and it's been Labour-held forever. Um, but I've never seen so many people wavering from their traditional voting pattern. When knocking the door, it's I don't have to sort of work too hard for somebody to tell me that they're disappointed with Labour. A uh, couple of things come up. One is Corbyn, you know, disappointed with his leadership, disappointed with his sort of leftward swing towards socialism. Yeah. Do you think uh, they parrot stuff back to you that they've heard on the BBC? They they may hear it, but I also think I give the voters more credit than that. They They can see that you know, he, he is not competently leading his party, you know, and I think a lot of his parliamentarians yeah. uh, uh, a lot, uh, agree with that view. You know, they all, yeah. all tried to walk out on mass last year as well. <laughs> so, you know, like there's a there's a lack of faith in him and they're disappointed in that. And then obviously the other big issue of the day that barely needs prompting with a lot of people is Brexit. Like mm. 70% of Lewisham voted to remain. 
I think a lot of them are quite fearful of what's going to happen with the Brexit negotiations. And obviously, Jeremy Corbyn and all the Labour Party voted with the Conservative Party on Article 50. Um, I've have basically had a pretty muddy position on Brexit at best since then. And, you know, we've got clarification in the manifesto that Brexit is going to happen, regardless mm. of the outcome of the negotiations. They're saying that they're going to try and get a better deal than the Tories. Of course, they would say that. But the things they're proposing seem to me like that they can't get a better deal because they're saying that ending free movement will happen. That means that single market can't happen. That means we are at best going to be sort of tier three members of the European Union, if you can put it like that, which means we will have a bad deal. And a bad deal is going to hurt our hospitals. It's going to hurt our local businesses. It's going to hurt our country as a whole. And I think Labour are trying to triangulate on this issue to satisfy their various voting bases and they're going to end up letting down the country on it. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to Labour bash too too much and not bash the Tories too, but, you know, I think it's very obvious to people like me and you and people in my constituency that the Tories' position is even more deplorable. I mean... Do you You're think, going for an extreme version of Brexit that yeah. nobody had the mandate to pursue, but they've decided to pursue. So do you think that these people are li- li- likely to change? Do, do you get that feeling? Have you got that feedback yet? So like if they're, if they're I'm not happy with Corbyn, blah, mm. blah, blah. Are they saying I'm, of, they're saying they're considering the Liberal Democrats. Is it a, ser- is it a serious thing or is it I like think so. A- and I think when I have the conversation and when any, anybody else that's out campaigning with us has the conversation, it's really persuasive. I think the thing that the Liberal Democrats will always suffer f- from is not getting enough cut through in the media mm. and therefore not getting our message out there enough. But that's where me and you come in, we knock on the doors. And when we explain to them our position on Brexit, and it's not told to them via somebody else, but it's told to them from us. A lot of people come our way and it does feel like a lot of people are looking to say that's a very sensible decision. I don't think what we're proposing is that radical. What we're saying is we're not going to overturn the result of the referendum tomorrow. What we're saying is at the end of this negotiating period, let's have a look at what offer we've got. Now, too much I, democracy. <laughs> I mean, I I, th- I think people are well used to this type of decision-making process. Yeah. You agree to something in principle, you go ahead, you thrash out all the finer details, and then when all the details are on the table, you take a look at it again and go, is this what I want to go through with? I mean, there's all sorts of analogies you can make to about signing contracts for houses or striking a business deal, but that principle of the country has agreed to something, they now need to go settle the detail. If we're not satisfied with that detail, if once we look at that detail, we think that could be damaging to our NHS and to to our economy, yeah. surely we reserve the right to walk away from that deal and not result up with an even worse deal, which is you mm. know the no-deal situation. But have the right to remain. It just seems yeah. a sensible thing to keep within our reach. We should, we should reserve the right... To, to maintain the status quo if we think the alternative is going to be damaging. But what, what about the um, age-old um, response, which is you're just weakening Theresa, Man, Theresa, Mann's, Theresa May's hand in undermining her uh, negotiating position throughout the, the next 18 months? Yeah, I mean, one, I kind of don't like some of the 
portrayals of how this negotiating process is going to go as if it's like us versus some gangland poker dealer that's going to try and punish us or you know you know <laughs> yeah. it's out to it's out to like you know extract extract the best benefits for them at the expense of us in some sort of zero-sum game these are our european union neighbors and partners it is in their interest to see us thrive because regardless of what happens at the end of this we're going to still be trading and living side by side and being a sense of political and economic union in a different name that's not going to end you no. know we're still going to be members of nato we're still going to trade with them. so it's not in their interest to to, to see us dest- destroyed at the hands of negotiations that's a nonsense um you are listening to the limehouse podcast please feel free to leave a review on itunes and visit us on facebook the limehouse podcast yeah, so we need to get out of our heads that they're, they're out to punish us. What they're out to do is conclude a very bureaucratic process in as neat way as possible because the factual position that they're coming from is that if you are not inside the European Union, tier one, and if you're not inside the single market, you know, like Norway and so on, tier two, then you must not have the same benefits of those people that are in those categories. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's not a punishment. That's not the EU trying to come down hard on us. That's just a that, fact. That's just a fact of what yeah. has to happen. Otherwise, what is the point in them having this single market? What is the point in them having this European Union? So the deal we're going to end up with is going to be the optimum one for them bearing in mind, and for us bearing in mind that situation. Hmm. We're not going to be able to achieve a picker mix of the single market benefits. No. So my, my, my argument against people saying, well, aren't the European Union you know, going to just use that as leverage is that I don't think that's in their interest to do. Mm. They want Britain to come out of this in the best way possible. And I, I think eventually we'll come to realise that the best way possible is to stay in. Maybe on renegotiating terms. Yeah, yeah. But you have to be in to do that. And let's not forget that we've done this throughout our time inside the European Union we've negotiated opt-outs and things when we're inside the tent we can get better deals yeah because we're still contributing to the union and we're still at the table making decisions and we we are able to say no we don't want to be part of the Schengen area we were able to say we don't want to adopt the the euro we were able to say we need a rebate um, because of the amount of money we're putting in. We're able to negotiate all those things when you're inside. Once you're outside, it's a take-it-or-leave-it situation. Yeah, and I, yeah. I mean, obviously, though, the trade thing really worries me as well. Um, I mean, it's all right. When we leave the EU, we'll be, able, we'll be free to negotiate trade deals with the likes of India and Australia. Australia. All these countries mm. add up to... If you're really like, you know, talking about like, you know, South American countries, we all these places we can do deals with, they they still, if you add them all up, they only add up to like, was it Cleggy came up with this fantastic fact? If we, it's something like if we was to double um, our trade arrangements with Australia, with, Canada, with like the top India, five, it wouldn't match the yeah. trade that we do with the European Union. It wouldn't even come come to like half of what we do with the European Union. So it's like, I know it's a, we're we're re arguing, sorry, remaking the case for Remain, mm. but it is it is worth. It's it's kind of really worth drawing these 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 landscapes because basically that's what's at stake still. Yeah, it's still at stake in this election, and as you say, 
when we go out there on the world and we're Britain, we're still we're still 60 million people, Britain. Um, and going into uh, a trade negotiation with the US, who've got, what, four, four, five hundred million people, uh, going to a trade negotiation with India, 1.2 billion, China, similar figures. Yeah. You know, how strong is our hand in that negotiation? Um, and let's not act like we haven't been able to trade with those nations previously as part of the European Yeah, that's the other, we that's have, the other mockery, we, isn't we, it? We it's have, joke. But, but when we're going to the negotiating table then... We're a part of a 500 million person market. We're part of the strongest economy in the world. So actually, we're, we're much more likely to yeah. get better trade deals with India, US and so on as part of the European Union than on their own. If they're looking at Britain to trade with or the remaining European Union tra- uh, states to trade with, who do you think they care about more? The 60 million per- people market or the 450 million people market? Of course they care about that stronger market more and they're going to get the better deal not us on our own you're starting you're starting you're starting to upset my leave tendencies bobby you're starting, <laughs> you're starting to make sense uh-huh. what do you no but 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 shut up there are no buts we made a terrible mistake anyway that's my opinion all, 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 all we need to do in this election is make sure that we send the strongest possible message out to the conservative government and also the labor leadership that the direction of travel on Brexit is bad. And I think the, the only way you can do that right now, if you want to send that clear message, is by voting Liberal Democrat. And that's what I'd urge people to do because, you know, in a few years' time, things are going to get worse and you need to make sure that there is a party still speaking up for the sensible alternative, which is when things go badly, we need to be able to remain. It's just one of those things. I mean, we haven't talked to, to, spoken about the, um, the Tories uh, plans either really because I don't I, I I am so confused with who's done what who's doing what and why and, mm. and whose toothbrush I've got and how many <laughs> you know how many dogs I've got to walk today do you know what their do you know what their policies is all? well if Labour are a bit disillusional about their spending aspirations I mean uh, the Conservatives have been utterly dishonest they've not after all this harping about saying how are you going to pay for this how are you going to pay for this they've not even fully costed their own manifesto and they've got sort of stretch targets in their manifesto that are not even committed to saying that they will... What's a stretch target? So, so sort of saying that, oh, here's our aspiration in this area um, and it, they're not necessarily saying that they're mandated to deliver in the parliament on that. They're just saying, okay. oh, this is our aspiration. It's totally hoodwinking the public. Um, and they've got things like that in there and they've, they've failed to cost their manifesto properly. And I think that they are just taking the public completely for granted. Yeah. They think, you know, we'll say enough things for for you to vote for us. We're not going to really tell you how we're going to go about doing that, but just leave that to us because we'll sort it out. Yeah. You know, almost like they've got this divine right to govern at the moment. Well, they, and yeah, just leave they, it to yeah. us and we'll sort it out. And no, you don't need to know exactly what we're going to do because um, we're going to work that out ourselves over time and don't hold us to account over it because... You know, just trust us, and we'll be we'll be best. We're being honest with you, by the way. This is like May's line. You know, we're, we're being honest with you about some of the tough things we have to do. It's like well, you're not at all. Like I just think at the moment, um, I've, I've obviously previous podcast I said she could stamp on like the head of a puppy and still get in, and with a re- slightly probably like maybe slight reduced percentage point. But um, 
not judging by my inbox, people care about animal welfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've okay. had a lot of emails. Yeah, and I, I just, feel, I just, I just feel like right now they, they are just saying Linton Crosby's just like this stuff that's coming out of her mouth is just parrot, parrot feeding, like you know, just like parroting every, every line. It just sounds like it's been like, hey, Linton, what should I say to today? Well, I'll tell you what you're going to say today, Teresa. So how how come she can get away with this? Um, the reason she can get away with this is because there is no alternative at the highest level at the moment. Jeremy Corbyn has utterly failed to oppose. But we're nobody, used to that. That's no, the problem. So nobody thinks there's a credible alternative. And that's why I think Tim's right to be standing up and saying, we'll be that alternative. Okay, it does look like the Conservatives are going to win this time. But let's not let her have this landslide she wants. Let's properly oppose her. And let's show her what opposition looks like. So I do agree with Tim when he says that that's the aspiration for the party right now. Tim Farron, yeah. Yeah, because that's the realistic aspiration right now, that somebody needs to stand up to her arrogance and somebody needs to stand up to the way she's taking everything for granted in this election. I mean, can't sorry, but can't people see that this is just Linton Crosby, Theresa May and two or three other staff members? And, no, and they, they can't because they don't follow politics in the same we do and neither should they they're, they're receiving information in drips and drabs through conversations with mates and when they catch the news now and again and maybe the odd time that they pick up the paper or things that they see on Facebook you know they're not and nor should they they're busy with their lives they're not picking up information and paying attention to it in the same way we are so therefore that bland messaging works yeah. it only doesn't work if somebody else is calling it out in a consistent manner and Corbyn's failed to do that over the last year. He's not. He's not in. He's not made any effort but, to get media on side. He's rather just. Yeah. He's just rather blamed the media rather than trying to win publications over and try to, you know, form an opposition or, or, on the terms that the country needs it. See, I I think um, devil's advocate, whatever, playing playing the neutral guard. I I think that Corbyn has tried to stay on top of this since the Tory manifesto, the death tax, taking meals out of children's mouths at school, et cetera, et cetera. But because he is now perceived as a little bit of a clown, mm. maybe that's too harsh to say he's a clown because he's not, but, you know, a bit of a buffoon in some areas. He's, um, you know, he's not taken seriously. His credibility is already it's, shot. It's gone. There, there may be some truth in that. I mean, look, over the last couple of years, he's been engaged in a lot of leadership um, debates and, you know, very sort of internally focused and he probably hasn't had the same machine behind him as he has now in the election. Now he's in election mode. You know, there are a lot of experienced people in the party that are probably supporting him. And maybe his message is getting a bit more consistent. Maybe his opposition is getting a bit more consistent. But it's too little too late because you need to be doing that over a period of years in order to be taken seriously. That's what Theresa May has done. Um, she's been steadily building her reputation ever since she got into office. Yeah. And that's what Corbyn has failed to do. And um, yeah, unfortunately, we're, we're suffering from the consequences of, of that now. And, and let's also remember that, you know, in an election campaign, it is normal for Labour to pick up a few more percentage points by the time their manifesto comes out. 
it's also normal that that seems to drop away come election day. Traditionally, when we look at polls and people you know, just go back to the the status quo or better devil. Well, they just they they just end up usually dropping off a few more percentage points than the public have said that they're intending to vote them for. So, if we talk just briefly about uh, percentage points, it's gonna you know I want this to be as realistically um, honest as possible. Um, where you know the, the Lib Dems, where are we in? We're like on seven. Seven percent in the polls. Yeah, some seven, some I've seen at like sort of tens. Yeah, but yeah. So it's sort of like it's hard. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, you know, it's hard for you to speak uh, on certain subjects, but um, I, I feel like where, where are the Lib Dems possibly going to pick up on the race? Because I mean, I know the TV debates. Yeah. Without um, Theresa May and Corbyn. I still really enjoyed them. Yeah, was, he was, was there... he, I think he spoke passionately on it. Um, there, there are people that I know are totally non-political that said to me that he did well. Yeah. Look, Lib Dems tend to pick up later on in the campaign. Um, ordinarily, we suffer to begin with because we lack publicity. You know, we had our manifesto launch this week. Tim Farron was on the leaders debate and won them this week. And therefore, the coverage should start to pick up. And also, we'll be reaching more and more people on the doorsteps. Uh, more and more people online and so yeah. on and as the campaign wears on more people will hear our message yeah. as I said at the start of this podcast when people hear our message people seem to think it's quite sensible and seem to like want to make that switch um, so I think we just sort of have to watch this space a bit over the next couple of weeks we've seen you know events turn in politics so quickly in so many different places around yeah, the world at the moment yeah. it- and there is still potential for us to to pick up and really make a, a, a charge in this election and I'll hold out hope for that. Um, I, I, I believe that we've got a strong message that we have been sticking to for some time now. Um, it's beginning to get cut through uh, cut through, yeah. and, you know, that has got to pay off at some point. Yeah, as I said, I do I do think it's about getting our message out. Maybe this came around quite quickly for us. We, we were building a... We are still building a very strong movement. We're up to 100,000 members now in, in excess of. We're the biggest we've ever been beyond the peak of, you know, Charles Kennedy days when we were opposing the Iraq war and so on. That's got to mean something, right? There so are a lot of people coming our way and deciding to join our movement. Yeah. We're, we're finding ourselves, I mean, you'll see it yourself when you're out on the doorsteps. There are so many more people now than a few years ago that are ready to consider us. Um Maybe it might not pay off this election cycle. Um, I hope it does. And I, I still believe that we've got time to, 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 make, to make that breakthrough. But if it doesn't, it certainly will in a few years time. Yeah. When people knew that we were on the right side of things, when things start to fall apart. Yeah. And then people will remember and say, you know, Live Down's on the right side of this and things are going badly. And that's the party that we were trying to properly oppose us in the first place. And that is the party that I need to, to go towards. Well, yeah, I think like if you see the deterioration, I mean, I don't want to be too bleak. I hate being so bleak. It was cloudy outside, you know, it's been raining. But um, we're we're really looking, and sadly, the popularity of the party will pick up once the economy takes a nosedive. And I don't want to be the harbinger of doom. And I know that there's plenty of out there, these bloody Bramonas and all that, that go on and on and make all these terrible predictions. But we nothing happened, you know, it's all fine. In fact, the economy is on the upturn. It's like, well, we haven't, we haven't left the European Union yet. So we've still got that battle. We're trying to point out the realistic, yeah. sort of the realisms that are probably going to happen without sounding like the harbingers of doom. It's true, but you we know. have actually got evidence on our side. And I mean, the right wing, when I keep saying, look, nothing's happened. And 
our reply is rightly, yeah, we haven't withdrawn from all of these great trade arrangements we have with the EU yet. So, right. so some of the impact hasn't happened. But things have happened. Hmm. Look at look at inflation. It, it's creeping up and up. Look at the Brexit squeeze that we're experiencing because of the fall in the pound. You know, people's uh, shopping baskets are getting more expensive. People's trip to see their nan in the car is getting more expensive. This stuff is only going to get worse. There, there are much, much worse things to come when we eventually have different trading arrangements with our European partners, when we have different immigration policies and, you know, potential black hole in terms of staffing in the NHS. So things will get much worse. But let's not pretend that everything is fine now. People are already starting to feel the pinch because mm-hmm. the way inflation is going up and wages are still stagnant. Yeah, but that's the conspiracy of, you know, that my 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 leave side wants to say that's because Theresa May is being jerked around by the coalition of chaos um, and the bureaucrats in Brussels are deliberately hurting and punishing us. But anyway, that's Monty in the background eating his food. I think the sun's back out again. It is, it's beautiful. In fact, the sun is shining on the laurel leaves outside and it looks very pretty. Okay, well, from me... And Rosie the dog, and Monty the dog, and Bobby. The not dog. The not dog. Bobby is not a canine. Even though some people tell me that Bobby's a bit of a dog's name. A dog, really? Yeah, do you think that? Bobby. No, for me it's just like Bobby Fuller, like the rock and roll legend. Yeah, after Bobby Charlton though, like the footballing legend. Oh yeah, I suppose so, but mm. I'm, I'm a purist Southampton fan. Yeah. You know, Bobby Stokes. There you go. Yeah. I mean, all I, th- all I can think about is... I fought the law and the law won. I mean, this is very much the end of the podcast. This is the the drag, the the royal trail ends. Right, okay. Bye. And Bobby, you can say bye if you like. Yeah, bye if you like.